Let us gather for worship. Here on the heels of Christmas, we speak of love. We speak of joy. We speak of candlelight and fireside. We speak of dreams being fulfilled. We speak of glorias and angel choruses. We speak the words, do not be afraid. Here on the heels of Christmas, we are called to speak for the world needs light. A light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Let us worship and listen, then let us speak. Amen. Prayer of confession, forgiveness. Seeing God in your midst is one thing, speaking it out loud for all to hear, that's entirely different. The world needs this good news. We are not called to be silent. So family of faith, let us share together in our prayer of confession. God of today and tomorrow, we know that your fingerprints are all over this world. And we know that those who dream cannot keep silent. So today we pray, give us eyes to see you, give us courage to trust you, and give us lips to speak of you in our midst. Gratefully we pray, amen. Sisters and brothers, by the faith of Christ, your sins are forgiven. Blessed be the God of our salvation, whose mercy is everlasting. <laughs>
divine voice. In the beginning, it was you who spoke over the water and brought forth creation. And then it was you who asked, Cain, where is your brother? It was you who spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. And it was you, through angels, who spoke to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. You have always been speaking in words, in memories, in songs, and in dreams. So today, as we prepare to hear your word read aloud, we ask that you, sh that you would speak to us once again, as only you can, so that we may speak this same good news to others. We are listening. We are grateful. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Reverend Dr. D. Cooper. I am the Interim Executive Presbyter of Heartland Presbytery. It's a joy to be with you this Holy Sunday after Christmas. Indeed, as we explore and wonder into the differences of silent, of silence, of silenced, and the ways in which we silence others. And when is it time to speak? Our first reading this morning is from the uh, prophet Isaiah, and it is chapter uh, 61 through 62. I will joyfully exult in Yahweh, who is the joy of my soul. My God clothed me with a robe of deliverance and wrapped me in a mantle of justice, the way a bridegroom puts on a turban and a bride bedecks herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and the garden brings forth its seeds to blossom, so exalted Yahweh makes justice sprout and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For the sake of Jerusalem, I will not rest. Not until her integrity shines like the dawn, her deliverance like a flaming torch. The nations will see your vindication and the rulers your splendor, and you will have a new name that Yahweh's mouth will bestow. You will be a garland of beauty in Yahweh's hands, a solemn crown worn by your God. And then our gospel reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. When the eighth day arrived for the child's circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the day came for them to be purified as laid down by the law of Moses, the couple took up Jesus up to Jerusalem and presented him to God. For it is written in the law of our God, every firstborn heir is to be consecrated to God. They likewise come to offer in sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accord with the dictates of the law of our God. I'm going to push pause just for a moment right there because this is a profound gift that we're given of storytelling. It unfolds in the narrative, but it's important to understand the movement of the Holy Family as they bring Jesus, a Jewish boy, to the temple for purity and identity. 
It's told in a manner that invites the reader to also realize that the gift of turtle doves, these are sacrifices dedicated for the poor. It's part of the Leviticus Code. It's the awareness again and again. It foretells us what we know about Jesus. It's throughout his entire life, everything he addresses is addressing the needs of the poor. So I continue on. Now there lived in Jerusalem a man named Simeon. He was devout and just, anticipating the, consol the consolation of Israel. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. She had revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah of God. Prompted by her, Simeon came to the temple and when the parents brought the child to, the, to perform the customary rituals of the law, he took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Now, O God, you can dismiss your servant in peace, just as you have promised, because my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared for all peoples to see a light, a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. As the mother as the child's mother and father stood there marveling at the things that were being said, Simeon blessed the child and said to Mary, the mother, the child is destined to be the downfall and the rise of many in Israel, to be a sign that is rejected so that the secret thoughts of many may be laid bare and a sword will pierce your heart as well. There was a woman named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, who was also a prophet. She had lived a long life, seven years with her husband, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple. Worshiping day and night, fasting and praying, coming up at that moment, she gave thanks to God and talked about the child to all who anticipated the deliverance of Jerusalem. When the couple had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of God, they returned to Galilee and their own town of Nazareth. The child grew in size and strength. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was with him. Friends, these are ancient words and these words are true. For this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. silent and silence. This is a quality of this season that we appreciate, we value, and we adore. For many of us, the last song that we sang together was Silent Night, and we equate that with the holy. We invite through the winter these deep spiritual practices of silence and solitude. We honor Mary who hears the news and ponders these things in her heart. In silence, we listen for God. We contemplate possibilities. We honor our being instead of just our doing. Our culture also has adages, old adages around silence. We're told silence is golden. We're told children are better to be seen than heard. Even one that still pops up regularly 
and it's, it's comical, as if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. It's comical and it's ironic because it's not biblical. Indeed, it's from a Disney movie in which Bambi is learning how to walk and Thumper is making fun of him. Thumper's mom reprimands him and he recites this phrase, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Some of the wisdom around silence is helpful and others dated and maybe not so helpful. Silence can present a, a very uh, presumptive agreement. We agree with what's being said, with what's being presented. Our, our silence, we are concurring. We're told by other wisdom that silence isn't empty, it's filled with answers. It's the source of strength. It's the true friend that never betrays. Silence can be the germinating space of creativity. And we proclaim, we hear the Almighty in the silence. Visions come to us in the silence. In these days of political division, of radical reactivity, of COVID fatigue, of devastating racial injustices, of isolation, of loss, of despair, and anger and responses of those who are being attacked. There are times that we are, there are times of, of being silent and there are times we are called to speak. Simon and Garfunkel created such a powerful song. I can easily bring up the lyrics in the chambers of my heart in their song, the song Sounds of Silence. They remind us though, that silence, like a cancer, grows. But what happens if we add one small letter, a lowercase d, at the end of silence? All of a sudden it moves from silence to silenced. Try that on. What does silenced evoke in you? For many, it's a reprimand. It's an interruption, it's an action of harm or control. It can be a gag order. It's a loss of personal rights, the freedom of speech and respect. It can be a statement that you don't matter. To be silenced can mean violence. It can mean oppression. It can mean someone has power over you and thus causes deep loss of connection with others or with yourself or the personal value to share your heart's dreams and thoughts. It might be a loss to have a voice at the table in the meeting or to have influence in shaping and being part of society and contributing. It can have that feel that although one might have great um, insights and wisdom, that these are not wanted or welcomed. A child can be silenced by a parent, an employee by a boss. People groups have been silenced over the years. And persons of color or indigenous individuals for generations or women. Many of our loved ones who are in the hospital with COVID, as they're hooked up to the ventilator, they are silenced. Alice Miller, a Polish and Swiss psychologist and sociologist, wrote two books. 
It was for your own good and honor thy father and thy mother. She raised such an interesting and amazing psychological study and sociological study of what climate created Nazi Germany, that people would embrace the teachings of Hitler. Her deduction was related to the pedagogical styles that parents taught their children. Never question authority. Your rulers, your leaders will always look out for your best with the presumption of benevolence. But that idea of never questioning caused many not to question, not to doubt when what was happening was incongruent to their own understanding or their own experience. Maybe you have been silenced and it raises the question, who are the silencers? Am I a silencer? What ways do I silence others? Either by not inviting them to have a voice at the table or maybe shutting down their voice when I disagree. Maybe talking over them or interrupting them or just not even caring what they have to say. If we expand this exploration further to consider the times that a clear voice was needed and not spoken from the church. When the church has spoken, and when has the church remained silence? And what about that gap between when there was a need to hear from the church and when they actually did? As Presbyterians, we take pride that our confessions are truly statements of the church about what is happening in culture, in politics. From the Confession of 67, the Declaration of Barnum, the Belhar Confession, and even the Brief Statement of Faith. For all of these, they came along after long periods of silence. And that infamous letter that was written from a Birmingham jail by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was written as a response to white pastors who had advised Dr. King to sit down and be quiet, to be patient. And friends, one of those was a Presbyterian. So when were the times the church was silent? We have many in our society who are silenced. And what about when we silence ourselves? I often wonder what it would have felt like to be Simeon and Anna. You see, your entire life is building to this final moment, this final utterance that will be captured for multiple millennia. You might say it was on his deathbed. It was his final remembered words. It was the fulfillment of his life. And we use his words with those who have died during the worship part of the witness to the resurrection. We can create space to acknowledge our loss. We celebrate somebody's life. And we also give witness to the resurrection. And oftentimes you hear echoed Simeon's words. Dismiss your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. They're powerful words. 
Text and scholars tell us from the narrative of Luke, Simeon was not just old. He would fall into that category of ancient. Some speculate he was as old as 200 years old. What we know is it was beyond his normal life expectancy. He has lived with this song, anticipated this promise, this message in his heart that the Holy Spirit she gave to him, and it's been building and churning and shaping, wanting expression, wanting fulfillment to express and of his life. And then we have Anna. Anna, who's also a prophet, who has sacrificed herself for years. Also by her age, indicating she's lived many lifetimes. And most of that is a widow. She's been fasting and praying. She's been maintaining the rituals of purity of the temple for this very moment. And whose voice we actually never hear. We're told what she said which is an interesting contrast. In this narrative with the ritual and the actions, there's an act of looking back and how God has provided and celebrated God's provision. It's also through the song of, the, of Simeon and Anna, the act of looking forward to the consolation of Israel. They see a glimpse of what the whole world might see the expectancy of the shifts to what Jesus will do. So the message of Simeon and the song of thanksgiving and of Anna, they resonate with this prophecy, this doxology of Isaiah. It's an interesting piece because that doxology declares what our loving God has done and what the creator will do, even in the midst of exile. The singer will not keep silence. This weaving and this navigating of the old and the new is brilliant writing. And yet I want to go back to my earlier questions. When are we comfortable and nourished in silence? When are we silenced? Who is being silenced in our world? And when do we silence ourselves? Brian Stevenson shares this quote, that hope is what gets you to stand up when others are sitting down. Hope is what gets you to speak up when others are saying to be quiet. So what is that message? What is the voice? What is the truth that must be spoken that our hearts are ready to speak? What would the utterance or declaration or doxology of your last breath be? You see, as pastors, they say we have five sermons we preach. Same thing, just different words. And I believe there's great truth to that. I would off offer, I don't believe it's just true for pastors. It's true for all of us. I believe each of us carries God-inspired wisdom and doxologies and messages for this world. And so I continue to wonder aloud with you, what message would mark the fulfillment of my life or of your life? If I had or you had one more message to share before you died, what would that message be? I asked several clergy friends of mine this, this question, and I loved their answers. I, I want to take a moment to share with you some of these. One said, there's no promised land. 
to live faithfully where we are now, even if in the wilderness. And just maybe in doing so, you'll find it's a promised land after all. Another said two words, grace and joy. And I think mine would be the profound nature of love. So I extend that question to you and ask what would be the most important message and the last message you would share and what would you share? I'm a curious person, so just asking that question usually doesn't stay by itself. I ask lots of questions. And I had a follow-up question with myself and others. As I wonder into what that message is, what is it I'm proclaiming? What is it I'm living and singing? What is that message now? And if I'm not doing that, what is stopping me? How am I silencing myself? The list of those I texted, they shared with me their responses there too. They said, I'm afraid. I think I'm wrong. People don't want to hear it. I'm too young. I'm too old. It will stir up or cause people to feel. Someone will get hurt. I will get hurt. I'll be isolated. Or even worse, I might be shunned. Another said, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit's prompt when she tells me to. Friends and siblings in Christ, I believe each of us has a message to share. And whether that's from the pulpit or on a Zoom call, it may be in a conversation or in a note. It may be at a protest or over coffee. It may be at a birth or at a funeral. I would invite you to notice the pulls on your heart, those holy nudges that invite you to speak, to share what is on your heart. They may be words of thanksgiving and doxology. Maybe they're words of justice, reminding us of who we are and who we're called to be. They may be words that name a conflict, but in speaking about it, you and the other can move to a deeper relationship and connection. And maybe they're words of hope, of assurance, and promises of love. When you know and you feel the Spirit prompt you, as she will and she does, it's time to be silent no more. It's time to speak. Let us pray. Divine love, empower us. Illuminate us. Energize us by your spirit to speak the words that you've placed in our hearts. Amen. Please join me in the affirmation of faith. We believe in telling the story. The story of a loving and merciful God who will not let God's people go. The story of a baby who grew up and changed the world. The story of our faith. We believe in speaking up. For our neighbors, for the oppressed, for the overlooked and marginalized. We believe in speaking out. Against violence, greed, abuse, fear scarcity mindset, and bigotry. We believe in passing the mic. So that we are not the only ones speaking, so that we can lift up the voices of those around us, so that we too might listen and learn. We believe in the good news of the gospel. 
We believe that this good news is too good to keep to ourselves. We believe that those who dream cannot keep silent. Speak to us, holy God. Speak through us, holy God. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Leave it on. I have some things to say. Uh, this is the time for joys and concerns. You've read the messages. Uh, concerns are put out on the Monday mailing. If you have things to add today, please use the chat section of your Zoom. Um, I do want to uh, remind you that next Sunday is a communion Sunday. Does anyone else have uh, a joy or concern today? Everybody appears to be happy in their own little world. That's okay. Um, okay. Oh. Okay. All right. Let us let's um, let us pray. Glory to you, O God. For good news of great joy that you gave to all people. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who lived among us and now reigns on high. Thank you for his, uh, his light that shines in the darkness. With the angels, we sing praise to you, celebrating your glory in all the earth, in the sun given to us, and in your promised salvation. Gather as a, gathered as a community on this day, we pray for your church in every place that we may make known to others what has been told to us about this child. Help us to bear Christ's light in every place of need. Draw near to those who spend this day apart from community, travelers and those far from home, people who live alone, one who waits in a hospital room, all the caregivers across the country and around the world, one who sits in a prison cell, one who works deep into the night, one estranged from family or friends, comfort those who are poor and vulnerable, uh, the child at risk, the homeless on the streets, the family that is hungry, and those contending with prejudice and scorn. Restore those who have lost faith, lost hope, or simply lost their way. End the hostilities and the wars we construct by ushering in the endless peace of your design. Establish your reign of justice and righteousness. You are the Lord of hosts, who with zeal will do this through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Mourns in lonely exile here. 
of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to Spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to And be thyself a king of 